Throughout these conversations, we use colourful language and discuss topics of an adult nature. Listener discretion is advised. The reason I got involved with UK Black Pride was their mission to try and get people to understand the experiences of black people and what that means for your queer identity, um, for your sexuality, for your sex characteristics, because there are very specific things that happen to me that don't happen to other intersex people who are um, from, you know, a white English background, for example. From the very first day when I was born, decisions were being made by my dad, who doesn't even speak English as his first language. So, you know, he didn't really understand what was going on. There was no translator. So that ultimately set the whole path for my life. Welcome back to Interview, a brand spanking new DIY podcast conceived to centre and celebrate intersex stories, visibility, diversity, and most importantly, joy. I'm your host, Danny Coyle, a.k.a. Intersexy. There are so many other things that impact me just because I am um, Indian, because I'm um, Hindu, because I have grown up in, you know, Leicester. There are so many different parts of my identity and intersectionality is about saying, here's all of me, listen to what I have to say. And what intersectionality teaches me is that we can't speak for everyone we shouldn't speak for everyone. In this episode, I'm excited to introduce Anik Sonny, a creative consultant, writer, presenter, and researcher who specializes in purposeful and accessible content. He is also one of the founders of Interconnected, AKA ICON, a new UK-based intersex-led charity providing support, guidance, and information to those with variations in their sex characteristics and their allies. Welcome, Anik. Firstly, thank you so much for, again, just making the time to come and chat with me. Um, I feel very blessed and I'm so happy to facilitate this beautiful intersex exchange. Um, And could I start with just asking you to introduce yourself a little bit? Absolutely. Hi, Danny. My name is Anik and I am intersex. Um, I'm also um, an intersex man, which is not really something that's very common in the sense that people don't really talk about masculinity or or identifying as a man and also being intersex. Um, so that's that's kind of my weird little niche that I've 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 got. And also I happen to be a person of colour and, you know, working class and all of the different things that make up every single tick box on the diversity quota. So it's a very fun life. I don't know who decided to um, create, well, it was my parents, but I can't blame them for everything. But someone <laughs> someone out there thought, okay, let's see, what can we do to make a really interesting human? Let's put a load of suffering and then just take a bunch of boxes for tick boxes. And then I was created. So yeah, which didn't explain anything I do. But hello, my name is Anik. I do lots of research around intersex. Um, I focus on children's rights and childhood. Um, and the reason I do that is because that is the area I think needs most work because there are a lot of great activists around the world doing incredible things around adult care and focusing on how to support each other once we grow up. But my work tends to focus on what's happening right now with the children that are being born, um, what terminology 
are they being introduced to and how are their families and caregivers generally being supported when making decisions. Um, and this work has kind of taken me in lots of different locations um, in terms of my own career because what's ended up happening is I've been making films and talking about my surgeries very publicly so that I can break down those barriers. So that's me in a very long nutshell. I love that. I just had, when you were talking about like this big, you know, pot of all these interesting things, I'm just imagining the opening scene of Powerpuff Girls when they're like, sugar, spice, everything everything nice. And Annick was born. Um, (laughs) No, that's so cool. Um, And I would love to hear a little bit more about what makes you, as long as you're comfortable, obviously, talking about it, um, which I know you are because I've seen so much online, but I would love to hear a little bit more about what makes you personally intersex. Yes. Okay. So here's the fun thing. It changes all the time in my medical records. So it wasn't until five years ago that I got some lovely clarity. Um, And that's just um, kind of an aside for anyone out there who's listening and thinks they've got a definitive answer, because um, it's something that, you know, science is evolving, medicine's evolving. You may not have the answer right now. But when I was born, they couldn't see straight away whether I was a boy or a girl. It was something that was very visible and obvious to do with my genitals. So then they did one of those chromosome tests that they are very fond of and said, okay, well, these are XY chromosomes. We don't know why this looks like a cross between a penis and a vagina, but maybe it's because he was born early. Um, So essentially, my parents were told, everything's okay. We're just going to wait and see what happens, but we're going to need to do some surgeries. And the word they wrote down at first was called hyperspadius. Now that is um, a very, very common um, variation or condition, which actually describes when someone is usually born male um, and they don't pee from the tip of their penis, they pee from a hole or a slit somewhere alongside the shaft or maybe even in the scrotum. So mine was described as a very severe case of perennial hyperspadius. Um, which means that it kind of all blended into one. I didn't really have um, a penis per se. They had to like go digging for it um, and lots of reconstructive surgery when I was, you know, like three months old to be able to shape things in a way that other people would be able to code me as a boy. But hyperspadius was the first thing that they said I had, um, which was what my parents were generally told all the way through my childhood except for in the medical records. So to their face, it was just, oh, your child has a very common variation and it's called hyperspadius. Now, hyperspadius is so common, it happens in one in 250 boys. Um, And that in itself tells you that, you know, there's a lot of people out there who have hyperspadius. But when you talk to a medical professional or even someone with hyperspadius about whether that makes them intersex or not, you'll get very different answers. And the reason for that is because hyperspadius has such different classification systems and, I guess, degrees of severity that for some people they will say, no, I like if, if there were lots of criteria, I'm basically just a boy. Um, there's just this kind of thing that's physically different about me. And that's kind of the approach that my parents saw it as. Um, and, you know, for a long time I thought, yep, I'm just a normal boy. There's just something wrong with the way I pee. Um, I can't pee standing up. And these were all the things that were fed to me. But 
I had a very severe kind of hyperspadius, the kind that's more rare compared to the more common version that maybe people are more likely to say isn't even an intersex trait. So um, it comes down to the fact that personally I see myself as intersex in terms of the fact that I had a very severe hyperspadius and they needed to perform surgeries because it even says in my notes we didn't know whether it was a boy or a girl. I was later diagnosed with partial androgen insensitivity syndrome, um, which, you know, is a bunch of long words that I didn't understand, didn't know what it meant when the doctors said that to me. Um, and they kind of just blurted it out as if I should know what it means already because, you know, they knew what it meant. So ergo, everyone should know what it meant. And I didn't really know anything about it. And because I was born in 1995, terminology has systemically changed a lot. So some people might be aware of a phrase called DSD, which is differences of sex development, but that wasn't brought in until 2006. So I would have been 11 by then. Um, and I didn't meet the criteria for lots of different things. So they didn't know whether I counted as having a DSD because technically they'd already corrected, in their words, some of um, my external presenting genitalia. So, you know, throughout what makes me intersex, it has been a mission to try and find specific diagnosis. And it wasn't until I got a hold of my actual records and spoke to um, more, I'd say, doctors and professionals who weren't so conservative that I was able to ascertain that actually, yes, intersex does feel right for me. And it's something that I identify with rather than saying I identify as intersex. It's an experience that I have had um, dealing with various surgeries since I was born and hormone treatments and things like that. Um, so there's there's a lot of parallels between me and um, the intersex experience that not everyone with hyperspadius would necessarily have. So it's kind of like in the beginning, I was like, am I intersex enough? So that was a very long-winded way of saying um, all the things that make me intersex. But I think if I was to describe what makes someone intersex, I'd say it's having a variation in your sex development that doesn't fit what we're typically um, taught um, as being male or female or whatever, um, whatever, you know, and, you know, looking at the history and thinking, does this word apply to you? If you think it does, then yeah, you're intersex. If you don't want to use that word to describe yourself, that's completely fine. And that's why those medical terminologies exist. Yeah, for sure. Like this is actually leading on to my next question, which I actually personally don't know the answer to. So this is as much about learning for me as it is like having this chat. But I've seen, again, a lot of your posts. So you mentioned one, DSD, which could mean differences or disorders in sexual development, which so I found out I was intersex personally when I was about 10, but then officially when I was 14. And I think this was past the point where that was already a commonly used um, term. So I heard that very early on. And that was kind of one that um, I, I, I didn't know difference. I knew disorder. So I kind of saw myself kind of like you said, I'm just a girl, but there's something wrong with me and I've got a disorder and this is what I've got, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the second one that I've seen that you've posted recently is a variation in sexual characteristics. VSC, is that correct? Yeah. Here's the thing that everyone probably finds very confusing about my use of terminology, but that's just because I'm a former language student, you know, for me, language is very influx. It's 
it's people that ascribe meanings to particular words and words change meanings over time. So intersex in the 80s does not mean the same thing as it means now. And same thing as when DSD was brought in, it was a word that you and I were introduced to as children and it made sense to us as children. And I don't know about your parents, but for my parents, they love DSD compared to intersex because it, it kind of medicalizes the whole experience um, in a different way, especially compared to what was originally in my notes, which was male pseudo-hermaphrodite, which is a very strange term in itself because it's, it's saying that someone's male and it's saying pseudo, which is basically fake, and then hermaphrodite. So I'm a male fake man, woman, what? I don't know. But th those were originally medical terms, like intersex itself. But when DSD was brought in, there was opposition as much as there was agreement. And the problem with the application of DSD is that for some people, it's very difficult to kind of decide whether they fit into the diagnostic criteria. It's, it's kind of a medical and political decision whether you want to describe someone as having a DSD or not when you're a doctor, purely because it means there's extra things you might need to do. So because I was diagnosed with having a DSD, but it was before my hospital had a multidisciplinary team, none of those services were available to me. So I had ver a very different experience, but I'm told in the NHS in the UK, um, particularly in England, that if you are diagnosed with having a DSD, you should have access to a whole heap of professionals who work together and they're meant to be a multidisciplinary team. So I think I didn't even answer your question, but essentially, essentially what, I, what I'm trying to say is people were moving towards DSD because they felt that the word intersex was misrepresentative. They didn't think that intersex should be used as an umbrella term for everyone because you have people who, if you did have, you know, a checklist, most of the time they'd fall into one side of a binary or another. So just because they don't take one box, does that mean they're no longer, you know, if there is a woman who doesn't have um, a womb or a cervix, does that mean she's suddenly no longer a woman? No, it doesn't. So they were like, how can we call this person intersex? And, you know, it became, it's not, it became, but there's no, um, there's no surprise to me that when you look at intersex history, the time terminology was changing was the same time that intersex people who had been performed, um, surgeries on had started to grow up and fight back against the medical system. So, you know, Intersex people originally, some were brought in before this DSD change came about, which was a general consensus amongst urologists mainly. So urologists are people who deal with um, the genital system generally in medicine. And most often, you know, they are surgeons. So, you know, they do surgery. Um, so it was brought in to fight the stigma at that time because they thought the word intersex was stigmatizing. And I meet adults now who say the same thing. They hate the word intersex. Um, and it's taken me a long time to kind of get to grips with terminology because for a long time, I was happy with the word DSD because that's what it was to me. 
um, when I had the word disorder, it didn't phase me in any way because to me, I was like, well, disorder just means not working as it should be. But then I met some activists who said, but this is what we don't like about DSD and this is what we do like about intersex and we're reclaiming it. And I was like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. And then a few years later, it's like switch back. I'm like, well, does it matter what term I use? I should use whatever term I feel comfortable with and just mirror my language when I'm talking to other people. Because, you know, we can't be talking about ending binaries and things like that if we're going to be so binary with the use of our language as well and saying that you have to talk about intersex if you're going to talk about intersex or you are or you aren't intersex. It's like, it's a very complex decision to go out and say that you're intersex in a world which claims you don't exist and in a world which enforces literal surgeries and treatments to ensure you don't exist. So to then go around telling other people with similar variations but different experiences to you not to use particular terminology that they prefer, I think is offensive and shouldn't be done, essentially. Thank you so much for explaining that so simply and eloquently, because this is something that I've, you know, I can definitely see how it can be intimidating for other people who aren't intersex or within a queer space or within, you know, that kind of space um, to be, yeah, be intimidated by, you know, like you said, the use of this language, because if I always thought of it as if we couldn't decide within, within ourselves, within the group, how are other people's meant to um, sort of keep up. But I think that's a really interesting point because I definitely am very immersed within a very queer circle and all, most if not all of the intersex people that I know identify as queer as well as intersex. And I think intersex for me personally is an inherently queer experience. But then what happens if you do identify as straight, as cis, and then somebody is trying to push the label of being intersex on you and actually, you know, and then this is being adopted by very queer circles and you're saying, well, actually, no, I'm a woman. Like, I think that's a really, really interesting point. And actually, if we stop and think about that for a moment, let's break it down. I identify as queer as well. So for me, I was straight away, yep, intersex, this is great, I'm happy with it. When I was looking at all of the organisations that were out there doing advocacy, doing activist work, where all the funding was, it was LGBT plus spaces. They were the ones who were giving funding for intersex work. They were the ones who were listening. The first time I ever came out um, publicly was through BuzzFeed. And with BuzzFeed, it wasn't some random medical department or anything like that. It was the LGBT news correspondent. So I felt very attuned to that. And, you know, because I'm bisexual as well, I was like, well, yeah, no, this makes sense. But in the past few years, as I've stepped away from only seeing it from that lens and speaking to different people in different countries and people of different ages and cultures, I've realised that, you know, it's oversimplifying everything to just just describe it as a queer experience. And there are some people out there who will say it's very harmful to do it that way. I mean, I don't think it is harmful. I think it's misleading. I don't think it's harmful um, in in and of itself. Because for for my own self, I think it we need spaces where us queer intersex people can come together and speak and all of that. But the problem is people who are straight and intersex don't feel welcome in those spaces. Now, 
when I first started in, in, uh, encountering people like that, I used to just be like, well, a lot of these people are very homophobic or transphobic and they see um, sexuality as a choice. The reason they don't see intersex as a term they want to use is because they don't want to be lumped in with quote unquote freaks. So for a long time, I found it hard to accept another version of events, really. I found that I was automatically dismissive of people who hated the word intersex and only wanted to use DSD, or people who wanted to find a middle ground and use variations of sex characteristics or variations of sex development. And then all I realized is that if we continue to do that, there are so many people out there who will never be able to find support or community. And worst of all, I sat down and thought, if anyone had said to me as an 11-year-old or a 12-year-old, you're queer and intersex, I would have denied it. I would have been afraid of that word. I would have hated it. I would never have come out as intersex. Now, it's all very well-meaning to say, yes, we want to re um, recreate this new experience and reaffirm the identity of being intersex and making people feel comfortable with that. But you also have to realise that in some places, it's illegal to be LGBT. So when they have a medical experience of intersex, which is so heavily medicalised, and then they hear about queer rights, they don't always make that connection. And especially when people find out they're intersex later on in life, when most of their attitudes have already kind of um, developed and all of those things. I mean, I was very, I see, I see myself as lucky knowing from a young age that something was different about me because I looked down and I didn't identify with the rest of the boys in the group. I still thought I was a boy, didn't think I was a girl, didn't think I was anything. Like I would say I probably thought of myself as neither, but I'd still jump towards the boy's side because that's how other people saw me. And so it becomes really complex. And that's why I've just stopped trying to police or understand other people's language and just start mirroring what they use instead. Because there is no easy answer for everyone. There is no one size fits all. There are people out there who actually reclaim and love the word hermaphrodite. I can't tell them, oh no, I don't like it. So you're not allowed to use it. Which is the mistake a lot of intersex people make throughout our communities, I think, because they're so personally triggered by a particular word, they don't want it being used. I think that is literally, you just hit the nail on the head. That is just something that I've been thinking about for a long time and never really understood why I had an issue not an issue with it, but I never understood why it was such a big deal for some people. But um, now I feel like I really do. And I think you just touched on it at the end there, but I was going to ask you, how do you feel about the word hermaphrodite? Because I think for a long time, that was the word that triggered me massively. Because like you said, when, when you know, we were being quote unquote diagnosed, um, these were kind of the words that were being thrown about. And like you said, um, you know, as a 14 year old quote unquote girl, if somebody had told me, they essentially asked me whether I was trans. Again, I don't want to be associated with those freaks at 14, <laughs> growing up in my small, you know, um, southwest town in the UK. Like, I'd never met a trans person. Uh, you know, I had the same. We, what's so difficult is that trans, intersex, and non binary people, and people with DSDs and VSCs, I'm going to start <laughs> making my language more inclusive, um, grow up. You know, we are 
products of the society. Even if we are these people, we are taught to hate them. Like, we hate ourselves. That's so much of the issue. So yeah, like you said, when we're being sort of diagnosed, being asked whether I was trans was extremely triggering. And then exactly the same as you in my file, like pseudo hermaphrodite, all of these words just screamed freak to me. And I think as much as the surgeries and the maybe the sort of um, ambivalence of the surgeons towards me was triggering, I think it's actually the words that stuck with me for such a long time. Because, you know, the phrase sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me is absolute bullshit. Uh, I tell you this much, being at school asked if I was a tranny, if I was a ladyboy, if I was a hermaphrodite, all of these things hurt so much more and had so much more of a a long-term effect than ever, you know, going to one or two doctor's appointments ever did. So I think what you're saying about language is so important. Anyway, completely you turning back to my original question, how do you feel about the word hermaphrodite? Because like you said, within our community, it is being reclaimed by some. So how do you personally feel about it? I'm personally very indifferent to it. And I think the reason why I'm indifferent is because I've had the privilege of learning about the history of the word hermaphrodite. Um, And I think one of the main issues that activists tend to have is that they don't realise how much privilege they have when it comes to accessing education and reading and finding out the histories and all of these things. So if you had said to me hermaphrodite when I was younger, I would have been like, no, that's not me. Um, And then when I learned about what the word meant as an adult, I was like, okay, still not me. And it seems like something which should be resigned to history. It seems like something which is, you know, like not a real thing. It's just mythology. And now I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I personally wouldn't use it to describe myself. I would, if someone else wanted to use that word and they're happy with it, again, like I always say, mirror it. If that's what they want to use, that's what they want to use. But because intersex is so broad, I don't think hermaphrodite is, you know, an, a replacement for the word intersex because we've moved. That was the original terminology before intersex was brought in. So in the medical system originally, it was hermaphrodite, and then they replaced it with intersex, and then they replaced it with pseudo-hermaphrodites, and then it was DSDs. But all throughout that, as people were gaining more knowledge about specific conditions and variations and different traits, people started identifying with their particular um, variation or um, their, their condition. So, for example, I would have been like, yes, I will talk about hyperspadius only. I don't want to go to an intersex group or a hermaphrodite group or anything like that because we all have such different experiences. So it's not going to be of relevance to me. But again, I've had the privilege and misfortune of being raised as a man or being seen as a boy. So for that reason, I don't think people would have said I was a hermaphrodite unless they saw me naked um, and saw the way my genitals looked because until until I turned 21 pretty much it did look like a hermaphrodite I don't know what the t- how to word it but it did look like what you would imagine a hermaphrodite to look like but that was only when you saw my genitals because of surgeries and hormone treatments 
if I had clothes on, you never would have said any of that kind of stuff, which is why I got so hung up on um, not only language, but the idea of someone seeing me naked. So I don't know. I don't think I hate the word, but I think it's just so easy to misunderstand and it doesn't ring true for my particular experience. But there are some people within our communities who it actually does make sense for, and they do want to use it. Um, there are people who have um, been brought up and assigned in one gender and later on discovered their intersex and felt like they want to transition into another one. Um, and, you know, they might feel more comfortable using the word hermaphrodite, but it has to be up to the individual. Because, so one of the things that um, I've been reading on and off for the past few years, um, I've, I rarely get through it, but it's called um, A Girl Called Georgie. No, that's not even what it's called. What is it called? I have it behind me. It's A Girl Called Georgina. Um, so there's a book called A Girl Called Georgina, and it is an autobiography slash memoir slash weird research kind of thing written by an intersex woman um, in the 90s. And she is, quote unquote, the first intersexual in the UK. That's how she described herself at the time, because she was actually technically the first person in England to have their birth certificate changed and corrected um, to say that there was a mistake when she was born. Because when she was born, she was um, raised and assigned as being a boy. And she lived 18 years of her life as a boy, um, then went to the army and all of this kind of stuff, and then found out she's intersex. Um, it was in the 50s and 60s at this point. So brand new terminology, all this kind of stuff is really fascinating. And then she's like written this book and she is so interesting in the way she's approached this back in those days that even today I'm looking at it like, would she have described herself as a hermaphrodite? And in this book, she talks about what counts as a true hermaphrodite, because that is an off um, then at that point, it was um, an actual medical diagnosis. She was diagnosed with true hermaphroditism. Um, and the reason she was diagnosed with that was because she had ovo testes. She had um, ovarian tissue and testicular tissue. So she herself was diagnosed with true hermaphroditism, but she didn't like that word either. Um, so I just find it interesting looking at how different people within our own communities have different experiences and how that could influence what language works for them. And I just think when we first start out as activists or individuals who want to talk about being intersex, we get really hung up on language. I, I actually remember being told off for using the word DSD um, by senior members of, of the community. And as a newbie, I walked in and I was like, oh no, I've offended everyone. Um, this is meant to be my community. What am I meant to do? And then all these years later, I'm kind of like, but if there are children out there tomorrow being diagnosed with the DSD, I can't wait 18 years for them to suddenly discover the word intersex and realize it applies to them. I need to use the words that are being used at the same time. I can say I have a preference for this word, but we have to talk about a lot of the different terminology that exists. 
I think it is like, like you said, it's so difficult because I think even 15 minutes ago, I would have shied away from using words like DSD or condition purely because I feel like as we, as a lot of us talk about, especially queer intersex people talk about, it stigmatizes us and sort of pathologizes us further. But it's so difficult with children because obviously their parents are in charge of everything they essentially consume. And if they don't want them hearing about or associating with trans, non-binary, intersex, gender non-conforming kind of, you know, um, you know, topics, then of course they can stop the child, um, you know, um, coming into contact with that. But that doesn't mean that child should still not have the kind of information about then the DSDs and that kind of thing. Um, And I guess then just waiting until the child is old enough, like you said, because at 14 or whatever you might already have, or older, you might already have fully formed views on um, like other stuff. Somewhere out there, there is um, someone who has never been to an endocrinologist or um, been to ever get their chromosome pattern checked and they are extremely homophobic and transphobic and they're going to find out that actually they have XY chromosomes and that's going to be brilliant. Like, you know, that would that's make my day. That, if anybody listening to this, if this has happened to them, please write in. That would be so much fun. Um, and yeah. my last, my last, um, thought on this actually this is kind of a bit of an anecdote but um so if we're talking about linguistics um like pure linguistics um I wrote an article or I had there was an article written about me in my local um newspaper from where I'm from in Swindon and um essentially it was because I was on the days 100 last year and they wrote a piece about being saying an intersex Swindon girl um was in the days 100 anyway my nan gets this newspaper and I forgot that she buys this newspaper every day and reads it so she of course saw me um and she had no idea what the word intersex meant um and she asked my dad and my aunt and they just said oh um well she assumed that it meant some kind of lesbian so I love this for my nan but it's so interesting because I think if the article had read hermaphrodite she would have understood because it's such it's so much more of a wide wide like reaching word and sometimes I think wouldn't it be great if we could just call ourselves that because then we wouldn't have to explain what intersex meant do you know what I mean I I get that but then at the same time it's because hermaphrodite people don't see it as an umbrella term they see it as someone who is both at the same time and they will picture a particular kind of person um, or, you know, it's just, I I think it will stop people from using it. But it's so fascinating to me that people um, use hermaphrodite as a bad word because I don't know if you ever watched Pretty Little Liars, but in Pretty Little Little Liars, one of the, like, people that... um, one of the people who's not even intersex but gets bullied is called Hermie because they call them uh, uh, they call him a hermaphrodite as like a joke behind his back and I was like this is like a show made after the year 2000 and what the hell and I'll, I'll, I'll sit there watching um movies or random things and come across the word hermaphrodite but it's always in a negative context so I think Unless that changes, which hopefully it will do with the number of people who are proudly saying that they're hermaphrodites, then we will get closer to um, a way of people understanding. But I find it interesting that they refer to you as an intersex girl and what that means, because for some people it's so important that we, we add that extra bit on to say 
girl or boy so that they can code us and understand us or um, represent us. And the fact that your grandma didn't know that was basically typical of my family as well. Like my parents didn't tell their siblings or anyone um, about this. And when I decided to come out, it caused a lot of friction within the family. Um, and I was just there like, you know, statistically, surely there are there are genuinely some genetic components to intersex. So I wonder how many people in this family have had this secret. Because I've met people who are intersex and their siblings are also intersex. You know, it's so broad and it's to do with so many different things. Totally. And I think, so Sean, I interviewed Sean and he was saying, we were talking about how he has um, like three aunts and uncles who are all intersex. So yeah, it's very, very interesting. And within my family, there are trans people, there are intersex people, there are queer people. So, and yeah, I just think that's really interesting. Um, And I think, yeah, like you said, with your family, within my family, or maybe the extended family, um, I'm very much seen as a woman with something wrong with me. And like mm-hmm. you said, that's their way of coding. Um, you know, they can't deal with my queer identity. It's, it's their or maybe way of my understanding. Yeah. I yeah, think exactly. sometimes um, because we are as a community so triggered and so um, a lot of us still live within our trauma, um, when other people place us or put us in it then, um, for their own understanding, it can be really harmful for us. When we look at things like pathologization and um, making a natural variation something that's medical, it's it happens all the time. I mean, in the 1800s, late 1800s, when they were first talking about sexuality, they were calling it sexual inversion. It was a psychiatric thing. It was um, like, if you want to look at early intersex stuff, it was classed as inversion. It was classed, it, it was always within the history of what I see as queer uh, medicine, which is why I personally still think intersex has a, such a queer um, feel to it. But I understand that for some people, they just want to be living in a medical mode because, you know, it's to do with the fact that their body doesn't respond to androgens in the same way. So for them, it's not an identity. They don't... Um, feel like anything else about them should change or anything like that. And it's just, you know, if that was fixed, then they'd be fine. But what I have a problem with is the notion that we're raising people to think they need to be fixed rather than just accepting the fact that they have a difference. And this is where I think we as an intersex community and all the broader related variations and DSDs need to engage with with um, disability activists because there is a lot in there. There is so much to do with the social model of disability and the medical model of disability. And the idea that, you know, some people out there will view their intersex variation as a disability, you know? So I can't go around being like, oh, um, it doesn't count. You can't say that your intersex um, being intersex is a disability because for some people it might be because it might be what prevents them from having children or it might be some I can see you like clapping away that but do you get what I you're mean? You're reading it, my mind no you're reading my mind I recently did a panel with a disability activist and what he was saying felt like he was speaking to me I like I felt what he was saying to my core and this is how I was 
this is so off tangent because I've got so many other questions and we will move on shortly. But yes, I think that's a really interesting point that I really want to dive into another time because exactly like you said, he sort of sees his disability as an identity. He, to his soul, is disabled and there is nothing wrong with that. But then other people see a disability as exactly what I think most people would consider the word to mean, a disability. And if they could not have it, they wouldn't. While he is adamant that if he could not have his disability, he would still have it. He's not saying there aren't good things and bad things about having that disability, but Mm -hmm. it makes him inherently him. And I think that is so interesting that you brought that up because this has been on my mind for the last two, three weeks. And I think you are so on the money. Anyway, So you mentioned disability, and I know you talk about intersectionality a lot. You're also on the board of UK Black Pride, is that correct? Um, I'm on the core team of UK Black Pride, um, and I have recently become the commissioning editor for Voices, which is the blog which is going to be on the UK Black Pride website. I'm on the board for the Privilege Project, which is also about intersectionality and all of this kind of stuff. Okay, amazing. Well, let's dive into that. And I just wanted to know, again, like you said, why is intersectionality important to you? And how and why did you get involved in that? So UK Black Pride was something that I don't think I ever originally foresaw myself taking part in, but I was asked to join the team and it's home now. Um, And I guess one of the things that really makes me proud to be part of that team is that the main question I get asked all the time or that I see on our social media for the account is, why do you need a UK Black Pride? Why isn't there a white pride? Why isn't there a this pride? And it's it's like the level of understanding people have is very low and you have to have the same answer all the time. And what I've noticed and what I see it as is we need a space where we can celebrate being us. Not so that we're trying to exclude everyone else. You can still come to our events. You can still come and learn about us, talk to us. But we need a space where we can just be. And that's why UK Black Pride exists. And it's the same thing when people say to me about intersex. Oh, but why is um, intersex constantly added onto the LGBT acronym? It's, It's because a lot of us are queer and we want to work in those spaces. And we want to exist as our whole selves in a variety of different spaces. We don't want to just compartmentalise everything and separate it. So the reason I got involved with UK Black Pride was their mission to try and get people to understand the experiences of black people, um, to try and get people to understand what it's like to be a person of colour, to be an immigrant, and what that means for your queer identity, um, for your sexuality, for your sex characteristics. Because there are very specific things that happen to me that don't happen to other intersex people who are um, from, you know, a white English background, for example. Um, They will have very different experiences, not only in terms of the fact that from the very first day when I was born, decisions were being made by my dad, who doesn't even speak English as his first language. So, you know, he didn't really understand what was going on. There was no translator. Um, so that ultimately set the whole path for my life. Um, and there are so many other things that impact me just because I am, um, Indian, because I'm, um, Hindu, because I have grown up in, you know, Leicester. There are so many different parts of my identity and intersectionality is about saying, here's all of me, listen to what I have to say. 
And what intersectionality teaches me is that we can't speak for everyone. We shouldn't speak for everyone. When I first started out as an intersex activist, I thought I was breaking the barriers. I thought I was the first person in the universe to ever do this kind of stuff, which just shows how little I engage with the existing community, just because when I was growing up, I didn't see it. The reason I didn't see it was all of the terminology stuff and all of the other reasons that um, prevented me from seeing intersex in media, which is why I end up doing lots of media work around it, um, like nowadays. But ultimately, what happens is if we don't see ourselves, we can't ever experience things um, as us. And we end up taking on some kind of responsibility to speak on behalf of intersex people or become a spokesperson or a stakeholder or whatever you want to call it. And what I've realised from intersectionality is you can't do that because me talking about my experience is ultimately that. If I wasn't combining it with doing my research on childhood and children's rights, talking to various different communities and different people and being actively engaged in doing activist work, then what I would be sharing is just my personal trauma from that moment in time when decisions were made which is what a lot of people do for various different reasons. And I know it is cathartic and it's something I used to do in the beginning as well. I thought it's enough to just talk about my lived experience and that's it. But that's not what made me an activist and it's intersectionality and realising my place in the ecosystem um, that has actually enabled me to do activism rather than be an activist. I also would love to hear more about your new charity, which you've co-founded with Magda, another pillar in the intersex community in the UK. Um, what could you tell us about Interconnected and what are your aims with it and what's it there for? And like you said, where, what what is its little place in the ecosystem of the grand intersex um, slash DSD slash VSC movement? Great. So Interconnected UK, and we call it Icon UK because we're icons, um, all kind of <laughs> started from conversations that I was having with not only Magda, but um, someone called Dr. Lee Mei Lau, who is um, a retired psychologist who's been working on intersex um, and related conditions and variations for over 20 years, you know, she was there when DSD was brought in as terminology. She's been there for a very long time and seen things um, and she writes about it and is an incredible advocate for intersex people. So we got together and formally registered a charity in England and Wales called Interconnected UK. And one of the first things we did was decide not to specifically only use one term. We say, we say specifically intersex slash VSC um, slash DSD, and mainly what we use is intersex. And when we're trying to be broad, we say variations of sex characteristics. And we have DSD on there so that the people who are aware of that term can find us as well. But because it's not a word any of us particularly want to use, we don't 
use it in every situation, which is going back to language, I think a very important distinction to make because there are some times when it's appropriate to use particular terminology. Like in my opinion, variations of sex characteristics is way too broad to apply to every single person. I think everyone who's intersex has a variation of sex characteristics, but not everyone with a variation of sex characteristics is intersex. And that comes down to the way they identify, but also it comes down to very simple things like um, when you look at what counts as a variation of sex characteristics, that could even be, you know, polycystic ovaries. And that's a very, very common thing. Now, for some people, they have a very severe version of that and they see themselves as intersex. But the majority of them don't. They just see themselves as women who have um, a difference in the way their body responds and creates um, testosterone and other hormones. So as a charity, one of our first missions was not to get hung up or caught in a, in a, in a kind of bubble or anything about language. So our space in the ecosystem is trying to be the middle voice and trying to reach as many people as we can um, by using the terminology that most reflects them. So intersex is our, all, all, me and Magda, that's what we use generally to describe ourselves, but we still, I still see myself as a man and she still sees herself as a woman. Um, and when we got together and created this charity, what we wanted was a space for me to be able to do my media work, um, for me to um, continue going in and consulting on TV shows and documentaries and um, journals and articles and things like that. We wanted a space for Magda to continue with the incredible work she does around supporting families and um, creating space for intersex activism. And Lime wanted a space where we can create access to psychological treatment and a way for parents to engage, which wasn't um, either way too extreme to intersex or too extreme to DSD, somewhere that kind of fit in the middle. Um, because it's a scary enough thing having a child who you um, find out has an intersex variation because you have to deal with so much. There are so many decisions to make. Um, you're not given support on it. Um, no one's there to even just sit down and explain terminology to you. You might get a pamphlet if you're lucky. And you have to deal with so many different emotions like grief and loss associated with the child you thought you had. Um, and there are so many times where until I came out as intersex, I was the biggest B-word to my parents. Like, I blamed them so much for all of the misfortune in my life, for every surgery that I've ever had, um, for being born in general. I just didn't understand or comprehend the fact that they were not given any support in an accessible way. So what what icon, what we're trying to do is create accessible information and guidance. We are not telling people what to do. We are not saying, do this surgery, don't have this, do this, don't do that. We're saying, okay, take a moment, breathe, meet some other people who have had it because, you know, surgeries when I had them are very different to 10 years later when techniques might have improved. So don't bother getting caught up on complications and things like that, what you need to focus on is, does my child need this surgery right now? Can it be delayed? So 
we want to create spaces where people can have honest dialogue and communications and where they can know their rights, where they can know that I do have a right to access my medical health record. How do I do that? This is how in the NHS. Um, and Magda actually ran a series of support groups for two weeks, um, uh, every two weeks, sorry. Um, every two weeks, she brought people together to just have conversations because there's a generational divide between um, older intersex people who maybe don't have family or connections around them compared to younger intersex people who have very big queer communities or or otherwise, or have support networks like their family. And then one of the things that we all got together to do is raise funding for um, therapy. That was a very big thing that we needed. And it's something that has become a core part of what we're going to continue to deliver forevermore. Um, whenever we apply for funding, what we do is um, safeguard a whole bunch of it and say, if you are a person who has an intersex trait, a variation of sex characteristics, a disorder of sex development or difference of sex development, anything associated with that, or you're a caregiver, or you're a health professional who has to deal with this stuff. Here's a list of people who we have vetted and spoken to who are familiar with this, and you can access four sessions for free. We will pay for the costs. You don't need to do anything else. Just tell us you want it, we'll give you, um, we'll sort out with the therapist the um, actual payments and everything like that. All you need to do is show up for your sessions. Now, we were able to do that thanks to funding from um, the COVID relief fund, which was given by Children in Need and Metro, um, which is a charity which supports LGBT young people. So again, as I was saying earlier, a lot of the funding comes from LGBT spaces. If there was NHS trusts and different spaces that are purely medical offering grants for the same thing, please reach out to us. We'll, we'll use the money for the same thing. But it's very important that we are aware of a bank of psychologists and psychiatrists who know how to deal with the complexity of intersex. Every time before I had my current therapist, I had to explain what what intersex meant. When I first went to a psychosexual therapist, which I didn't understand why I was going to them in the first place, but the GP told me, yeah, I think this is the right one for you. I had to sit and explain what intersex was. And she turned around and said, oh, I think you just need to masturbate more and understand how you feel about your body. And then um, what will happen is you'll build a better positive sense of self-esteem and all your problems will be fixed. And I was like, right, I've not even had my phalloplasty surgeries yet or anything like that. I have been taught from a very young age that my body is wrong. Um, I have been raised as a boy, but have a very small penis. And um, it also sometimes looks like a vagina and things like that on the outside. So what am I supposed to do with that? You know, like I can't just go on a dating app or a hookup. What am I meant to do? So I found that experience very terrible. I don't know. I can't think of another word for it. And then I I was like, okay, you know, I'm smart enough. I don't need therapy. If, if there was an easy answer, I would have found it by now. Then I tried, you know, lots of different forms of CBT and other things. And what ended up happening was the same thing. I had to go in and explain what intersex meant, including to 
um, LGBT therapists who specialize in that kind of stuff, who thought everything I was talking about was trans. And I was like, no, there is a distinction. So I guess one of our aims is to find a list of credible people and provide that support because not only is a lot of this stuff inaccessible, you can't generally find um, these therapists who have experience, but parents are so alone and caregivers and children, no one's there giving them that kind of support on um, conversations about how it impacts the entire family. I am terrible at answering your questions. I just keep going off onto <laughs> random tangents. You are the opposite of awful. Um, this is honestly blowing my mind. I'm so happy that we got to have this chat. Um, funnily enough, I had a very similar experience. I went to a sex therapist and on I specifically went to her in Berlin because it said on the website LGBTQIA or like LGBTQI and it said intersex. And it was the first time that I'd ever seen the word intersex on a therapist's website. And I thought hallelujah, I'm going to be saved. I'm going to be having lots of casual sex. This is going to be the best thing ever. Like, I love this. Da, da, da. And about three, four sessions in, we were doing some breathing exercises and she literally said, breathe up to your nose and down to your womb. And I was just like, bitch, have you not read the notes? Like, I ain't got a womb. Like, And it just took me completely out of the situation. And it, after that, I just had to say, look, this isn't working. One of the things that I think it's worth mentioning to do with the charity is that it's going to be a membership kind of thing where it's a lot of the information is available for free on the website. But if you are intersex, you can join as a member and have access to videos and um, different things that we think should be reserved for our community and to kind of prevent people who are, you know, just interested in us in a sexual format because the sexualization of intersex bodies and, you know, I haven't even looked into it because it freaks me out. Um, but the the porn industry, porn industry's obsession with intersex bodies is something that I'm not sure I want to look into. But it exists, and there are people out there who may fake being intersex or approach you just because you are intersex. And it's you know there's a there's a mess out there. Oh my god! I mean, yeah, that sounds absolutely awful, and I didn't even know that was a thing. If I'm honest, and I'm, I'm kind of sad that you've, um, <laughs> you've told me. But um, <laughs> give me a few hours, and I'm sure I'll be back to my normal level. Um, amazing! That was all incredible information. My really quick last question about in Icon membership: Will it be free for intersex people? Yeah. Or is it kind of like paid? Okay, amazing. So again, if you're hearing this if you're listening to this, if you're intersex, if you um, have a difference or a disorder in your sex characteristics, or if you have a variation in your sex characteristics, please, 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 please go and check out Icon because as you can tell from this episode, you know, it's run by people who really know their shit and know what they're talking about and will um, create a safe space for you. Yeah. Amazing. Icon, Icon UK charity. So we've talked about, as usual, intersex people coming together. We love talking about trauma. We just love the stuff. We absolutely love talking about it publicly. But let's flip the switch now for a second and talk about intersex joy. What is your favourite thing about being intersex? And I don't know if that's like the right way of putting it, but what is what is the thing that being intersex has given to your life? Like, what are the what are the what's the good stuff? You know, I, I, I love this question because it's like, 
intersex joy for me is finding out that I'm not alone. So every time I get a message from someone else who says they're intersex and um, talks about their life and I feel seen and heard, I'm like, this is bringing me joy. Um, and generally, in my experience, the best and most joyous things have been engaging with other intersex people and doing nothing to do with activism, nothing intersex related, just sitting in a room, watching a film, um, giving weird hugs or dancing or all that kind of stuff. And I'm just going to take a moment to say, if you are intersex and you're looking for a community, just type in literally the words intersex community onto Google and you will be able to find lots of organisations. There's or there's a place called OII Europe, which is literally Europe-wide. Um, and despite Brexit, still includes us, which is great. Um, and with that, I was able to go on to... I've been on, I think, two conferences um, where I spend weekends with other intersex people. And we talk about all of this kind of stuff and healing. And there's scholarships to go. So if you can't afford it... Um, charities can pay for you. Again, LGBT charities are the ones who are donating this kind of stuff. There is a wonderful charity called Astrea, which is the Lesbian Foundation for Justice, and they have an intersex grant. They give money to people who are intersex who want to support the intersex community. There are so many great places, and Intersex Joy for me is about community work. It's about understanding that we're not alone and how we can engage with others and I guess moving away from trauma bonding whenever I get to a place where I can stop trauma bonding because we just both agree that we're traumat traumatic tra I don't know we have traumatic <laughs> traumatized <laughs> we are traumatic people we are traumatic people let's just get that across <laughs> Yeah, as soon as we've got over that, like that tends to happen in the first two minutes, we compare surgeries and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, if they've had phalloplasty, we'll compare new penis sizes and stuff like that. And then it's all done. We've got intersex joy approaching. Um, so intersex joy is community for me. That makes me laugh so much. I absolutely love this. And I feel like it's very much something when somebody first finds out they're intersex or is just first finding the community, that's the kind of trauma bonding that happens because, you know, it's such a huge experience for them. Um, yeah. To find other intersex people, that's their automatic response is to kind of want to know how are you intersex to see can we find something in common here? Because different countries have different rules and different approaches to it because when i got to this european meeting one of the rules was you're not allowed to ask anyone what their variation is you're not allowed to um discuss that unless they bring it up or you have both sought permission and the reason for that was because some people are trying to shy away from the medical model so they were off the impression that if i say i'm intersex i'm intersex that's it Whereas if you go to the US and other places, it's very much exactly let's bond over the fact that we both have the same diagnosis or let's laugh at the fact that we we're both given the same diagnosis and look completely different. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. There's lots of little things. And if you have never spoken to another intersex person before, maybe you just don't know that you've spoken to an intersex person before is one thing, but there are lots of great places you can go to. And if you're under 30, um, Interact Youth is my absolute favourite charity that exists for intersex people, bar my own, um, because it, it provides 
all of the stuff and home that I needed to have online conversations with intersex people around the world. Um, it's a great place. Incredible information. A lot of it I didn't even know myself, which again shows how little information, well, maybe not how little information is out there, but how much you have to how kind of search for How much information it. is out there, actually. Yeah, no, so true. Opposite. Oh my goodness. Stop thinking of it as a deficit. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, I'm dying. Okay. Um, I have one more big question, which I'm actually, again, I've just like, I've been thinking about while you were talking because I am very curious as to what you think about this as well. I've asked everyone, what can allies do to make our lives easier? But I'm going to make it a bit different for you because I think you're going to have really interesting insights on this is essentially personally I find it extremely infuriating and upsetting when people talk about trans and non-binary people again me coming from a very queer intersex experience and they don't include intersex I'm talking about allies articles tv things like anything basically and it really upsets me that we are not included in a conversation which directly affects us um and like in, in, in really massive books, again, that have been released re recently about transgender rights, about all of these things, and non-binary is brought up and explained, and intersex isn't. And I, to, the kind of narrative that I've internalized now is if you haven't, if you're not, you know, um, like shining a spotlight on us, or at least like mentioning that we exist and that we're there, you're helping in our erasure. And I find that really difficult to accept coming from the people, like you said, who are meant to be some of our closest allies. How do you feel about this? Um, and yeah, it's kind of like the relationship between trans non-binary and, you know, the kind of exposure they're getting and how we're kind of still completely forgotten. Um, and how kind of trans pride and all of that kind of thing is blowing up um, and, you know, you get to Intersex Awareness Day and there's about 20 people there in a sodden field shouting. And it's kind of like, oh, where is all these people who cared about trans people a few months ago? Mm -hmm. So I'd say, well, my favourite event I went to over summer was um, a march for trans rights. And there was lots of people carrying intersex flags and things like that. So, you know, I think there is a level of inclusion, but when you don't see the inclusion that stems from fear and that fear is primarily because people tend to medicalize us before we get a chance to get out of that narrative and if you're on the hate cesspool that is twitter you will realize that any mention of the word intersex um automatically gets jumped on by straight intersex people or straight people who have DSDs who don't like the word intersex. And it causes friction because of the fact that there's a lot of division here. Now, my advice to allies is only include intersex if you have an intersex person who has taken part or you have specific um, support available for intersex people. If you are a therapist and you're adding LGBTQI and then you don't even know what intersex means, why have you included the I? There are times when it is actually not the best idea to include intersex and that is when they haven't done the work. The only time I think it should be actively encouraged and included is where it makes sense to include it and where it's been asked for. And when it comes to allyship, don't speak for us, lift up those voices and not just the ones you like, lift up a variety of voices. I had to say so many times over and over again, 
I'm just one experience. I'm just one opinion. If you are going around talking about intersex stuff, don't just tag only me. Tag a bunch of us. And even then, don't just tag queer people who are intersex, because there are a bunch of people who, you know, statistically don't even exist. I mean, we don't exist as intersex people. I hate the 1.7 statistic because it's just inaccurate and doesn't make sense because no one's out there measuring how many of us exist in the first place. But when it comes to being an ally, it's very difficult and it's hard work, but don't let that discourage you. If you are working on trans and non-binary issues, you are no doubt going to have some people in your group that are intersex as well. Ask them for support. Ask and reach out and you shall find. It's one of those like cliche things, but I, I don't, I, I wouldn't, personally like automatic inclusion unless it's relevant because I the amount of times I'm doing research and I like flick across to try and do the control F or whatever to look for the word intersex and then it's not mentioned um it's like okay but they said it's going to be an intersex thing and then they don't mention it ever again so it doesn't make sense in some circumstances but for the cohort that it does apply to, for the group and the community who are intersex and trans, who are intersex and non-binary, stop ignoring them. And this is a message to other intersex people out there as well, and people with DSDs and all the other terminologies that exist. Stop erasing other intersex people just because that experience doesn't match your own. I mean, I don't know how many times I have to have this kind of, I'm even, I'm, I'm being angry at you now. Like, it's like, I get so angry about this because... When I first started out, people forgot I was a human. They expected me to have all the answers for everything. And um, people lumped the word activist at me as if it was something that I was already. But actually, it's something I had to become and had to do. And it's something I have to practice at. And I'm not always going to be an activist because there will be whole months where actually it's not happened yet in the past five years, but I'm sure one day in my future, I will not have time to sit there and read through lots of academic things to do with intersex or speak to communities. And, you know, I might just want to exist. And there are so the world I'm trying to build is a world where it doesn't matter that I'm intersex, but people still are aware of the term. Um, and allies can help us do that by including us where it's relevant. Now, the place I think it's most relevant and gets ignored is society in terms of the way it's run. In our schools, in our workplaces, in our health system, in our prison system, everywhere, all of those spaces, where are the intersex people? Where are the intersex people who are in care? What about the children growing up in care? How many of them are intersex and getting support? Who's making the decisions on their behalf? I found out about things like that because when I was studying for my law degree, I was reading about cases where um, parents didn't want to sign off on surgeries, but the, but the state decided it was in their benefit, so they needed the surgery. And I was reading it going, do you know what? I've never even considered what it would have been like if I didn't have my parents or um, anything like that. And it's just, again, it's intersectionality, it's allyship, it's we exist, we're out there, create the space for us, but only when we are actually involved. Don't speak for us, because it's very frustrating when, say if you see yourself as cisgender and intersex, because 
you were assigned male. So for example, I was assigned male and I've never identified as anything else. So I'm technically cis, but I'm also intersex. If I was reading something about trans, non-binary and intersex, if I was only reading it through my own trauma lens, I might be offended by that. But what I'm trying to get people to move away from is, but who are they talking about? And were those people included? If they were, that's that's their thing. I don't need to have authority or, you know, some kind of like pen saying, yes, you can talk about it. You can't talk about it. It's the people, if someone's out there and they want to talk about being intersex, let them. Um, but the best way to be an ally is to find a whole bunch of intersex different people and get them to share their own stories. It's not about just going onto Wikipedia and adding a definition um, or finding a meaningless statistic or talking about red hair. Bloody hate all of those like stereotypes because I've I've said it before in other podcasts, but you know, when it comes to being intersex, it's so broad and there are so many different experiences and severities and all of these different things. It's also a political identity in, in that sense. You know, there there will be so there most of the division I see within the inter- intersex community tends to be intergenerational and cultural. Because within my culture, within an Asian culture, within a person of colour context, when I first started saying intersex, all the things that were available out there online were white and blonde and female presenting that they could find. So they were like, that's not what you are. Like, I don't know what, what kind of world you're growing up in. And it's just complicated. And now I'm just rambling again. No, it's brilliant. And I think it's so interesting because I think from what you said, you were assigned male at birth and have not identified of anything else. I was assigned female at birth and have not identified as anything else. But it's interesting that you would label yourself as cis, while I personally wouldn't, but I wouldn't also call myself trans either. And I think that's what the takeaway is for the allies listening, is that we're as confused as you are. There is no one way to be intersex. And, you know, and there's no fixed answer. You don't have to be one thing for the rest of your life once you come out, is it? I know someone who views themselves, who say that they their sex is intersex and that their yes. gender is male and their gender exactly. is being a man. And yeah. I'm like, okay, but then if you break sex down and then talk about sex characteristics, are you going to tick off all the things? It's so very complicated. Um, yeah. But I guess... It's a very fine line between taking people at face value and listening to what they say and also just understanding that if an experience is different than yours, it doesn't mean it's fake. It just means it's different from yours. That's a lesson I need to keep reminding myself and I need to write it on a post-it note because I'm constantly messaging other intersex people like, do you think this person is really intersex because they've never written about, written about this? Or I came across an Instagram page and it's they like the amount of people that use the hashtag intersex, but it has nothing to do with intersex. And it's just something irrelevant. I get frustrated about because I find that it, it means that resources and other important information is not seen. But then at the same time, what am I doing? I'm telling people by doing that, they can and can't use that word to describe themselves. And there is some level of off where yes that's true i can't suddenly start identifying as white because i'm not white you know but if someone is intersex i'm not going to go and look at their health records and verify it like it's not yeah we can't gatekeep yeah and that's 
a whole other discussion, but something I struggle with a lot. It's really interesting. And I think that's a really good point, again, of saying there's there's always going to be things that as individuals we struggle with. And, you know, mine is going to be different to yours and yours is going to be different to mine. So again, like you said, there is no one way to be intersex, to experience intersex um, or all of the other things we've spoken about today. So thank you so much. Um, My very last round off question is just what are you up to now? What are your future projects? Where can we find you online? And um, if you have any, you know, last final thoughts before we before we close off this chat. Yeah. So I have a load of brilliant, exciting projects coming up. Um, I am going to be on Building Queertopia, which is a BBC podcast um, featuring some incredible people. Um, So I'm going to be talking about what does a queer world look like and what would happen in it and what would be what my main wish. So I'm going to be on that. I am also um, getting ready to release another documentary, um, which is focusing on phalloplasty. It's not um, a story just about me. It's about three different people who have had phalloplasty for different reasons. Um, and I happen to be one of the people who is sandwiched in between. Um, so that's the next film that's coming out. Um, and it's going to be Channel 4 and available worldwide. Um, and that's coming out hopefully by the end of 2021. So if you're listening to this sometime in the future, um, what you should do is find me online and there will be a link somewhere where you can watch it. Um, aside from that, um, Interconnected UK, the charity is going to be focusing on uplifting other intersex voices, creating content and just being there. And you can find me online at Anikians, um, which was when I was younger, I thought, oh, that's an Anikian way of thinking, but it makes no sense now. And everyone's like, oh, is your middle name Ian? I'm like, no. And I can't change it now because I've used it too long. But A-N-I-C-K-I-A-N-S. And if you can make Anikians a thing, like that's such an Anikian way of thinking, please do. You are literally a fucking rock star. I'm sorry, but you were just talking about all this shit. You were just like, another fucking documentary here, another documentary here. Like, I'm just talking about my phalloplasty. A, a film where I'm intersex in the film. Um, and because it's not spoke, it's, it's uh, oh, yeah, that's a big project, actually. So I'm making, um, I'm involved in a film which is called Queer Borivar. And it is a short film, which is basically like all Bollywood, all brilliant, all fantastic, filled with um, an entire south asian and asian cast um and it's a love story between a non-binary indian person and a gay pakistani man and i play the best friend who is intersex um but you know i'm not all up in your face about it except i'm wearing a giant t-shirt that says i'm intersex (gasps) and there's going to be like an original soundtrack and i'm gonna have to learn dancing and all this kind of stuff so queer barivar is coming in the next couple of years i guess i don't know it's gonna it's gonna be amazing i'm sure like everybody listening is just as excited to watch that as me i am so so grateful that you took the time out of your very busy schedule to talk to me because so much of the stuff we discussed tonight is the first time for me as well talking about this kind of thing and i really do feel like my perspective on so much of the language of you know the positioning of other people with intersex i feel like my empathy has like doubled in size during this hour and a half so honestly i just cannot even thank you enough honestly thank you
love you so much. You're incredible. You're literally a rock star. Um, you're so cool. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed and learned something from it. If so, I ask that you take these learnings offline and share them with your family and friends, joining us on the quest for intersex justice. Conversations like these really help to depathologize, raise awareness and build empathy for the intersex community. I hope to see you next time. Music and editing by Dennis Herter. Custom lettering and artwork by Vivian Hoffman. Hoffman.